Good morning. Good morning, Hope. Glad y'all are here today. Hey, I, uh, I want to mention Isaac is over here. If you're new with us, yeah, let's give Isaac a hand. One of the ways that from time to time, uh, Isaac uh, is among us and, and worships through painting. So we'll talk about what the message is. Oftentimes, I just send him a text of kind of a little summary, and then he just waits for inspiration. And usually by the end of that second service, it's amazing. Well, usually it's done. It's always amazing, but usually by the end of the second service, uh, the painting is pretty close to done. So if you feel like chatting with him or asking questions or reflecting on that afterwards, come on up after the service, and he'd love to connect with you. Well, hey, the last couple of weeks, we had um, two guest speakers the last two Sundays. Um, They did a great job. And today, I'm taking us back to the series that we started after Easter on faith and doubt. And we're calling the series um, Faith with a question mark. Faith, I doubt it. And what we did, we started the series by looking uh, looking at a character, one of the disciples of Jesus, a guy named Thomas, who often gets called, nicknamed what? Doubting Thomas. Um, But as we looked a little closer at this guy, we noticed that really he was just honest Thomas. And and when we looked at his larger story later in his life, uh, he really deserves the moniker Courageous Thomas. And so we've talked here and in our small groups about how it's okay to wrestle, to be honest with God about our doubts, to be real with the struggles that we experience, the things that happen in our lives. And, and so we've been focusing. Okay, that's just the Did you hear that? That was not my knee. My other knee is still okay. Okay, so we focused uh, um, and been focusing on how honest doubt can actually lead us to a stronger faith. There's no need for us to deny doubts or suppress them or, or, or fear doubts. Um, no, we, we can bring these things to God because he's not threatened by our doubts. And we can be honest and lean into what he might be growing in us. So, so contrary to what maybe some might proclaim, your doubts don't make you a bad Christian. They just make you human. Isn't that good news? And so I want to continue with that theme this morning and specifically land on something that's really kind of stuck with me um, and kind of surfaced on and off throughout my own kind of life and, and, and journey. Uh, and, and I want to ask this question. Um, when the Bible talks about faith... Does it mean certainty? Another way to look at it is, are are faith and certainty equivalent? Are they the same thing? And so if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, we'll get there in a couple minutes. Um, But before we go there, um, you know, the concept, this idea of faith, for me, um, like I, I grew up in a Christian family, read the Bible from a very young age, and so I don't think anyone actually said to me what I'm about to tell you. I don't think somebody like specifically came out and said to me um, that this is what faith is. But, but I, I admit that it was my understanding of faith. My understanding of faith from a young age was this, that if I was certain and did not doubt that my faith would actually could change the outcome. Right? Anybody else kind of hear any of this growing up or live like that growing up? A few of us nodding our heads, a few of us honest around here, okay. Um, um, and specifically, it was kind of funny. I remembered a, a weird example of my belief that, you know, my faith would change the outcome uh, this week. And it would have been, I looked this up, it would have been Super Bowl Ten in 1975, which means that I was negative five years old. Okay, no, I was actually five, 
five years old, and, and by the way, I must have been five because in that Super Bowl, I was cheering for the Dallas Cowboys because I didn't know any better, all right? <laughs> but I remembered that they had um, Tom Landry was the coach and Roger Staubach was the quarterback, these two really outspoken, good Christian role models uh, on the Cowboys. I don't know what happened to the rest of the team, but those two were pretty awesome. Um, and, and so they're playing the Super Bowl, and, and I was cheering. I actually had a comic book, a Christian comic book that featured those two. Um, so I was a fan, right? And, and I was convinced, though, um, that if I had enough faith, they were going to actually win the Super Bowl. And so when they were trying to come back near the end of the game, I, I, I was so devastated because when they lost the Super Bowl, I was convinced in my five-year-old mind it was because the reason they lost was because I didn't have enough faith. That's why the Cowboys lost. <laughs> No lie, it's supposed to be kind of funny. You can chuckle. It's okay. I'm not that traumatized. Okay, now I'll have to go to therapy for it, but um, that just adds to the rest of my therapy list. But now listen, here's the deal. It's fine. It's fine for a five-year-old to understand or misunderstand what faith is in those terms. But, But I think it's probably not a great definition for a grown-up or for somebody who's followed Jesus and walked with God for a while that faith and certainty, it's going to happen if you believe it enough. Which brings us to this James passage um, that we're going to read in just a second. By the way, years ago, uh, Pastor Greg Boyd said this is a passage that he would rate as one of the top scriptures that is misunderstood, misapplied, and sometimes even abused. And I absolutely agree with him, and you'll see why as the message unfolds, because we're going to offer you a different way of looking at this passage, and I say we, because um, I'm stealing lots of ideas from what I have learned from him and from my pastor, Dave Johnson, over the years. So here we go. James chapter 1, starting in verse 6, we'll read through verse 8. It says, when you ask, and he's talking about asking God, he's talking about God, when you ask, you must Believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they would receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. And doesn't everybody feel really encouraged right now? Yes. Yeah. But we're going to talk about faith and doubt and certainty this morning. So pray with me as we get rolling into that part of the message. Father, I I do. I thank you for every person here um, and every person who will later listen through the podcast. I thank you for being involved in their life and all that has contributed to their being right here, right now, listening to this message. Uh, Spirit of God, I pray you'd open our hearts, our minds to receive what you have for each of us. Um, Would you draw us to you? And if anything I say is not of you or not what somebody needs right now, we pray that that it would just slide off. Um, But I pray you would, in all of it, draw us to you and your goodness and relationship with you. I pray, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. And in this moment, Jesus, as we are gathered, as your people, um, I just want to pray right now for the folks who've been affected by last week's shooting tragedy in Buffalo. I, I pray that your comforting spirit would be working there, especially for the families of those who have been murdered. I pray for all those families who've been left behind, like particularly the, 
family and the church family of the 86-year-old grandmother who, who sang in the church choir every week until now. And as they gather today, this morning, and miss and grieve both her and the other losses, will you bring comfort? Pray healing for those who've been injured. Spirit of God, would, would you just be working in the city and area of Buffalo. And, and would you, and God, would you be at work in healing the hearts of all who are shaken by this evil act, especially our brothers and sisters who are black and experience hatred for no other reason than the color of their skin. We grieve with them. We lament this tragedy and we stand with them just as you, Jesus, stand with them. Now we give the rest of this time to you. We give this word to you. We give our hearts, our ears, our minds to you. We pray in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, amen, amen. All right, so this James passage that we are starting out with here today, it says that we're supposed to, it looks like it says that we're supposed to ask God, and when we ask God, we're not supposed to doubt, and like, have no doubts when you ask God, and, and, and if we ask without doubting, we will receive, and if we have doubts, though, if we have doubts, then we won't receive, and this particular verse, like others um, in the New Testament, they, they seem to lie at kind of the foundation um, of what I think uh, turns into a source of major struggle for a lot of people. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Um, And that struggle is when we see a model of faith, that faith is about certainty, right? That faith equals certainty. And when faith equals certainty, then if that's where you're operating from, then your faith is as strong only as you are certain. and your faith is considered strong to the degree that you're confident that you are free of doubt, free of struggles, that you are right and that your beliefs are right. And so if all that lines up, then your prayers will be answered. And it's not a stretch to think that many or most of us have heard this sort of idea in one way or another or one place or another. Uh, and, and largely it's based on passages like this and some that are similar, um, and we'll get to it a little more in a bit here. But I already alluded to kind of my, I tipped my hand here, that I think that that's actually a profoundly unbiblical understanding of faith, although it is quite possibly the model or idea of faith that many people in America at least have. Um, because when we hear faith specifically taught on, especially in the media or TV or other places, um, it tends to kind of go that direction. And I am not here to beat up on, on other preachers or, or TV preachers or any of that. Um, I, I just want to talk to our family here, our church family, and see if this might be helpful. Because I think we struggle when we see faith that way, and we're going to talk a little bit about that here. Um, see, I think that believing that faith and certainty are the same, and, and the stronger your faith, um, the better, the stronger your certainty, the, the higher caliber your faith. It, I think that it's kind of like, um, when we do that, it's kind of like there's a mythical faithometer. Here it is, a faithometer here. We, are we going to call it a faithometer or a faithometer? Who says faithometer? Who says faithometer? All right, faithometer it is. All right, faithometer it is. Sorry. 
They were split in the first service, so I had to keep going back and forth. It was very confusing. Um, <clears throat> so the faithometer here, right? Uh, this faithometer would be this thing that measures the faith and how much faith that we have. In a faithometer understanding of faith, the more certain you can make yourself, the more the faithometer will go from absolute disbelief woo, and tip the scales all the way over to absolute belief. And so our job, if this is how it's supposed to work, is to convince ourselves to think everything that we are told or read about um, theology or God, it's true, and we need to stop being honest or thoughtful about any and all doubts because that's going to interfere with the raising of our faithometer. Um, I kind of think it's like we become, you know, the, the lion and the wizard of Oz, right? Going, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do it, right? Do you remember this? Is this just me? You know, he kind of gets, right, he gets very ramped up trying to convince himself, and I think we kind of do that, and, and in this uh, faithometer world, um, that's actually seen as a virtuous thing to do, to try to talk yourself into it, and, you know, because we're trying to get that faithometer pumped up there into the red zone, um, and so if this is our model of faith, then what we will tend to do is read the Bible through that lens because it's already a lens that we have. It's a presupposition that we have. And so when you come to stories like the one in Matthew 9 with that lens, uh, where, where two blind men come to Jesus, he asks them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, catch the phrase, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored which is a beautiful, amazing, incredible thing. But when we see that line with the lens of the faithometer folks, that, that according to your faith, be it done to you, can seem like it's, oh, we'll see, they're measuring faith. You read the story through that faith certainty lens, and it means, oh, look at that, they got there. They got their faithometer high enough to get healed. Way to go, fellas. And... Um, you know, I see the faithometer here, we've got a few levels. See, there's like three different levels here. So in the first level, the green zone, um, that's, I guess, what we'll call the salvation realm. If you're in that, you know, you just need to have enough faith to get saved according to your faith, be it done to you. And you had enough faith to get saved. Whew, good start, way to go. But if you keep on believing um, and you get into that, you know, 70% yellow zone, now you've moved into what we're going to call the blessing zone, right? God... Will you help me find a good parking spot and, and your sports team is going to win a little bit more often and, and, and the best part, you get the best deals now at Hobby Lobby because you are in the blessing zone. But if you keep on being more convinced and more certain, keep on believing, you might even get up into this 90%, the red zone here, the, the healing zone is what we'll call this. And when you're in that that range, that high range, and you have so much certainty in that kind of 90% plus range, well, now now you might be eligible to get some really good healing or maybe a Porsche, right? That was supposed to be funny. That... I need to have my own sound effects, bring my own, yeah. And by the way, if on this, let's say you, got all the, you would have to get all the way up to 100% if you want to win the lottery, right? Or if you want to see your Arizona or Minnesota football team win a Super Bowl one day. So good luck on that one. So if we are folks and we were to view through the lens of, view scripture through this lens of that faithometer theology, then when we hear, oh, Jesus said, according to your faith be it done unto you, 
what we're hearing is that, okay, we got to get that meter way up high in order to receive healing for blindness, which gives us something to strive and gun for. It gives us something to do, which we as humans love, something to do. But unfortunately, there is a downside to this. There's a downside to this approach, and the downside, one of the downsides is that unfortunately, it also means that if you didn't get healed, it's because you didn't get the faithometer up high enough, so you didn't get healed, it's your fault. I mean, if you had had enough faith, you'd have been healed, or if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be disabled in other ways, or you wouldn't be broke, you wouldn't be poor if you had enough faith, See, that's where faithometer theology ultimately ends up blaming victims. It must be your fault, which can be, you know, psychologically just really devastating, um, tormenting. It's, it's a gimmicky, shallow view, actually, of faith. And it actually gets worse because not only did you not have enough faith that you would be healed and that you would get out of the wheelchair and you didn't have enough faith that you would see and that you wouldn't be poor, but also (laughs) uh, the problem is your kid wouldn't be blind if you had enough faith. Your kid wouldn't have a disability. If you had enough faith, your mom wouldn't have died of cancer. So that's a pretty big downside of where this can go. And, And I've seen this brand of Theology, I'll call it. Um, I've seen it devastate people. I remember hearing a story years ago, a number of years ago, from there's a Christian man. He was dying of terminal cancer as a church that I used to go to. And by the way, listen, we do believe in the power of prayer and praying for healing. We see people healed here from time to time when we pray for them. So we believe in doing that, right? I'm not saying we throw all that out, not at all. We believe in that. But at this church, um, there were people that were, they believed the same thing. They believed in healing. They're praying, interceding for him. And, and at times it was pretty amazing. It seemed like he was improving, but then eventually he got weaker and weaker. And then there was a point at which he was going to die. And the pastor approached him to suggest that maybe we need to start thinking about what happens if you're not healed. I mean, we'll continue to pray for healing for as long as you want us to pray in that direction. But, but what happens if you do end up dying? Is, is your house in order? Are there loose ends that need to be tied up? And uh, by the way, pastors um, get to see this reality up close. Right? There is a good way to die and a bad way to die. And the bad way to die is to have a bunch of loose ends to not say goodbye, to not bring closure to things. Uh, but in this guy's story, he would have nothing to do with that because for him, his understanding, his belief was that he, for him to even talk about funerals or to talk about dying was to admit that you're not certain that you're going to be healed. And so in the name of what he thought was faith and somebody had taught him was faith, he wouldn't even consider the possibility. I mean, he, was saying, he would say, God's going to heal me. I'm certain of it. And the Bible says, if I'm certain of it, it will happen. But if I express any kind of doubt, I know it's not going to happen, and that's on me. And sadly, he did die. And when he did die, he hadn't taken care of bringing closure to a lot of important things. All because of his well-intended but misguided understanding of what faith actually is. I've actually known people 
um, who will not go to the doctor because they think to go to the doctor would be indicating that, well, Jesus isn't going to heal you. They say that it shows a lack of faith to go to the doctor because, well, if you're going to a doctor, then, then you're admitting there's some doubt that God will heal you. I actually heard of someone who told a pastor this. They said to him about this, they said, the very fact that you go to the doctor is why you need the doctor. You were supposed to laugh at that too. Wow, I'm really... Um, there was a church in town here that I uh, know, um, and it went through a bunch of staff and really kind of cultural changes. Uh, and eventually, um, this church... Um, would not allow, it was a large staff, would not allow in their medicine cabinets, um, their first aid area at the church, no ibuprofen, no Tylenol, no nothing, no aspirin, none of it, um, because they believed um, that to have that there means that we don't have enough faith that God's going to heal people of even headaches. And so again, I, like if your model of faith, if that's what you've been given, that true faith equals absolute certainty, where you got to get that faithometer cranked up, then I guess at least that's consistent, right? And by the way, maybe you know other folks that go even further than this um, uh, in their approach that say, not only must you not doubt that God's going to answer your prayer, you must not doubt that he has already answered your prayer. You must claim it, that it's already happened, and so some people will claim that they're healed even when the doctor says, well, I know they prayed for you and I'm sad to tell you there's still cancer there. Or some will claim that they're already healed even though the doctor says, no, actually that's still broken. <laughs> um, or they'll claim that their eyes are healed even though they're still almost blind. Um, Greg Boyd talks about a guy that he went to college with that was super thick glasses and he decided he was healed and he subscribed to this brand of theology that he just needed to claim his healing. So he took his glasses off and uh, for a month um, uh, he kept claiming that he was healed even though he couldn't read the textbooks and failed all the tests and almost flunked out of school. And even though he had two car accidents claiming he was healed. Um, but, but listen, Jesus never told people to fake it like that, right? Like, look at Mark chapter 8. We'll look at Mark chapter 8 here. When Jesus healed a guy who was blind, you see on the screen here, when he, when he touched him, then he asked the guy, can you see anything? Right? Jesus, by the way, didn't say, hey, confess now that you can see, claim that you're already healed. No, he asks him, can you see anything? And the guy says, well, kind of. I see people, but they look like trees, um, so they're fuzzy. And then notice Jesus doesn't say, come on now, man, where is your faith? You got to confess. You got to name it and claim it, believe it, receive it, mark it, and park it, brother. Nope, look at verse 25. He didn't do that. He says, Jesus says, okay, let's give it another run, right? So by the way, if we subscribe to that other point of view, then you'd be saying, we'd be saying that Jesus actually didn't have enough faith at first? Eh, I don't, I don't think that's the case. And by the way, the reason that I'm pointing this out is because, friends, we do pray for healing. We do. But Jesus never asks us to pretend. He never asks us to kind of play mind games to get it to, to happen. I, I mean, if it were true that 
Real faith equals certainty. And if you ask God without doubting, anything without doubting, you'd be guaranteed that God would give it to you. And if that was true, if that was true, wouldn't it mean that if we right now asked God with absolute certainty and no doubting, if we asked God that, that, that North Korea will become a democracy by 6 p.m. tonight, that it's going to happen, that it has to happen? Well, I, one of the problems with that, even praying that way, um, is there are a few other free-willed agents involved in that decision to become, right? Right? There's people involved. There's principalities and powers and spiritual forces involved in all of that. And so does God automatically just make all of them a bunch of robots because we prayed a prayer and claimed that we were absolutely certain of something? Like, I don't think so. Um, and, and, and I don't think that Jesus in Matthew 9 is saying that either. See, again, like... I don't believe that the definition of real faith is absolute certainty. I don't think that's what the Bible actually teaches. And the reason that I'm talking about this this morning is that that I know many people, including myself, not just as a five-year-old kid, but but as a young adult believer, um, there there are many folks, including where I've been in my life before, that, that thought that demonstrating true faith meant saying stuff with as much certainty as we could muster, but when we didn't get healed or when we didn't get the job or when our spouse didn't stay or our friend or parent did die, we were left wondering if it was because we didn't have enough faith. Some of us have been left wondering if we subscribe to that view. Uh, Okay, well, I guess I wasn't worthy of my partner being true to our vows. It must have had something to do with my lack of faith. Or or maybe you think, uh, yeah, my mom's cancer wasn't healed because I didn't have enough faith. Now, someone... (laughs) might hear me talking about this and go, yeah, yeah, but Doug, 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 you believe the Bible, right? You believe the, and I do. So then what do you do with that James passage we started out with? It seems like it's saying faith is about being certain. Don't doubt or God won't give you anything. What do you, what do, you do with that, Doug? And we're running out of time this morning, so we're going to turn the corner on this by going back to that James 1 passage. And, and I want to say this. Um, it's always vitally important whenever we're studying the Bible to look at the context of a verse. So many times I've seen this James verse and other verses just kind of lifted out in teachings on things like, you know, ratcheting up your faith. And the vast majority of the time, the context gets left out. They just pull out the verse and teach it. And people write entire books with many chapters based on that right there. Um, But the context gets left out. 
And every verse in scripture has to be read in the context of the surrounding verses. So right around it, we expand. What's the verses, right? This will help us understand more of the verses. Okay, and then we expand to, you know, the chapter around that verse that we're studying. What is, how does that inform that verse? What does it mean in light of the entire book or, or, or text that we're reading? How about the entire Bible? It's the context that's so crucial. And the meaning of every verse that we read is connected to the context in which it's found. And so this one's really easy. If we just go back one verse in James chapter one, and we were at verse six to eight, if we just go back one verse to verse five, give it a little more context, um, we're gonna see something that I haven't seen in any of the books or articles that use those other verses to teach what we were just talking about. Here's what verse five in James one says. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it, namely wisdom, it will be given to you. But when you ask, ask for what? For wisdom. When you ask, you must believe in, not doubt. So right there, doesn't that just change the whole thing? See, the context makes it clear that the passage is specifically speaking to asking God for wisdom. <laughs> it's not giving us a, a blank check to ask God for anything. It's, it's not talking about how to change the politics of North Korea by six o'clock tonight or how to ensure that somebody will definitely get healed. It's talking about going to God for wisdom. And James is saying right here, when you go to God for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt this. He gives generously. He's a God who wants to give wisdom. He's, he's not holding out on you. Now, then, if, 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 if a biblical understanding of faith is not this faithometer certainty, then how can we frame a biblical understanding of faith? Great question, right? Yeah. Um, but, and that would require a lot more time than, than we would have today and probably a lot smarter people than me as well. But, but what I want to do is, is give, give you one or two, just two things here to take away and to chew on um, in your last week of small groups before we take the summer break and, um, or, or on your own study this week. Um, two things. One, first thing is this. Um, Here's, here's a biblical understanding definition. Is that faith equals trust. It's just a simple way to say this. Faith is trust. In fact, um, some of you know John Lynch, who's been just really instrumental in my life and has spoken at our church a bunch of times. Uh, I believe I learned this first from John a number of years ago, that, that interchanging the word faith with trust all through scripture, especially in the New Testament, if you do that, uh, you'll get a great picture about what the writers of of that scripture we're trying to communicate to us about what faith is. So just try it when you read your Bible this week, you come across the word faith, just then reread that line and put in the word trust. It's super, super helpful. So biblical faith, not certainty, faith is about trust. And trust, by the way, is relational. Trust is relational, which leads us to the second thing I wanna emphasize in helping us shape a more biblical picture of this concept of faith. Um, it's relational. So the biblical concept of faith is about relationship. 
It's about covenant, the biblical concept of faith. When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about relationship. It's, it's about covenant and covenant, the word covenant. Covenant is a binding promise. That's what covenant means, a binding promise. Now, um, just real think about this. What relationship do we have today between two humans that is an example of a covenant, of a binding pro- promise, a binding promise between a, a man and a woman? What? Marriage, very nice. Marriage, marriage, right? So if we want to understand this biblical idea of faith, we need to think about relationship and marriage. We don't want to go to this analogy where it's a court of law. Faith is about a court of law where God's the judge and you're the defendant trying to prove how worthy you are or how much faith you have. No, 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 no. Get away from that and move toward a relational paradigm, a marriage paradigm, because the picture of God's ideal relationship with us is not one of judge to a guilty defendant. God's ideal relationship is that of a husband to a wife. That's what faith's about. So this means that, that faith is not me trying to talk myself into enough certainty to impress the judge. No, no, no. Faith is me pledging my trust to Jesus, who's already put his hand out and offered his hand to us. See, that's the picture of faith, a marriage covenant between us and God. It's that strong of a relationship, you guys. We talk all the time about it. It's a relationship with God, and that's how strong a relationship it is that he offers to us. So we don't want to think of, you know, faith as the, the uh, somebody trying to do that Wizard of Oz lion thing. I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, right? We don't want to think about that. Instead, think of two people doing their wedding vows saying to each other, I do. I do. When, when Heidi and I <clears throat> said, I do, um, it, I wasn't giving a statistical analysis report about the level of certainty that I had. <laughs> I wasn't thinking, well, you know, we've both been married before, so this actually has about a 60-70% chance of not working out. That is not what I was thinking, right? Um, when I said, I do, it was about making a commitment, a covenant pledge to her and to us before God, I made the choice to give myself to her for richer or for, for better or for, in sickness and in, until what do us part? That always sounds so morbid, doesn't it? Like, we could, until forever, I think, is what Michelle said in the last service. I'm like, that. we could try that. But this is the kind of relationship, the kind of commitment. That's a binding promise covenant. And when any of us get married, we're making a covenant to stay together, even though we, I mean, we're usually so full of hormones and everything else that we can't really think straight, but really we know we can't be certain of every outcome in the relationship, right? We, we know that people in marriage encounter doubts and challenges along the way. We're pretty sure it's not gonna happen to us, right? Um, but it, it, it does. But the commitment is is for us to be willing to learn to trust, to stick together. That's our covenant commitments. And that's very similar. It's a great picture of the commitment that we make with God, the relationship he offers to us. That's what faith is. Greg Boyd, 
He says it this way. Biblical faith isn't about trying to attain certainty. It's about committing to a course of action in the face of uncertainty. Committing, he's saying committing to a relationship. Even when you can't be certain. And one beautiful thing about a relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God, is that unlike us fallible humans who blow it all the time and screw it up, when we have that connection, that covenant, that commitment to God, we can be confident that God is completely trustworthy in that relationship. And so we can commit to him. That's faith as a covenantal relationship. That's what faith is all about. It's what it's all about, trusting and moving into that. Which for me, I'm really thankful that it's that way uh, and not about certainty. If faith was about certainty, I'd be in big trouble because I have a lot of uncertainty in my life these days. It could really kind of throw me off and mess with me if that's what I had to depend on to say that my faith was strong. Um, Like many of you, I've got challenges um, in my life. I'm going to have a partial knee replacement in about five weeks. Uh, On top of that, I'm trying to stall on a surgery where they'd fuse a few vertebrae in my neck that I was kind of supposed to have soon, but I'm pushing it back, but it's starting to look like I may need to do it. And so this stuff is very challenging for me. And so I pray (laughs) and have others pray for me for healing. And I'm going to keep praying. But the beautiful thing is it takes off this pressure um, because I, I get to remember that, that my faith is not based on certainty, that, that absolute faith is not the same thing as absolute certainty, thank God, so I don't have to be absolutely certain in order for God to move or to heal or not to. I don't have to live with this residual guilt or shame that I wasn't def- good enough, my faith was defective, and it's a beautiful thing, it's a good thing. And even, friends, for you and me, and we'll stick with me for a second here. When my journey at times in my life, when it goes through a place that that Psalm 23 calls the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm not there now, but I've been in those places, and you probably have too, it feels like the valley of the shadow of death. Here's what we know, that even in those places, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, God, are with me. I trust In our relationship, you are with me. You're not going anywhere, even when it's dark, even when it's hard. And I think perhaps and possibly many of you can relate uh, to that valley. Maybe your journey feels like it's going through a a valley right now. I um, heard Craig Rochelle say something important about this. He said this, he said, listen, when you're in a valley, What do you do? What do you do when you're in a valley? You go through it. You keep walking. You go through the valley. You don't camp out and stay in the valley. You keep walking. And I think that there's probably somebody here today where you go, I'm not in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm in the valley of the shadow of doubt. And so if that's you, if you're in that valley of the shadow of doubt, um, hear me. Um, You don't have to camp out there. 
and stay in the valley of the shadow of doubt. Don't let doubt become a dead end for you. If, in your, if you're in the valley of the shadow of doubt, just keep walking toward Jesus because God's right there with you. Even when you feel alone, you are not alone. He is with you. So just keep showing back up. Keep asking questions and not be afraid to ask questions. Keep learning to just trust God with where you're at and know that you don't have to attain some sort of rock solid faith certainty level. No, no, faith means that you get to lean into relationship with Jesus, even in your doubts, you get to come as you are, and that's all the faith that you need to get started. Remember again, faith, it's not absolute blind certainty. Faith is trust. It's trusting this relationship that God offers us. We hear his promises. We decide to lean into them, even when we doubt we become willing to stay in it that's how covenant works and that's how god grows trust in us which will deepen our faith even if it doesn't answer all of our questions worship team will you want to come you know i'm keenly aware that some of you have struggled with your faith or felt like your faith wasn't good enough because you've been honest enough to admit that you don't always feel as certain as you wish you did about God or you don't feel as certain as it looks like everybody else seems about God and maybe you start feeling deficient because maybe someone somewhere, even a well-intentioned someone, they caused you to feel inferior because you weren't as certain about what you believe as they said you should be. And some of us maybe are carrying this faulty notion that what God demands from us is a blind, unquestioning certainty. And maybe even worse, some of us might carry shame or guilt or sadness because you have thought that the reason that a tragedy happened or the reason somebody didn't get healed was because you didn't have strong enough faith. Which is why we talked about this today in our Faith and Doubt series, because that's not what faith is all about. Again, faith is not cranking up your faithometer based on your level of certainty. No, no, no. Hear me again. Faith is trusting and being willing to grow in the trust that the relationship that God has promised to us is real. And just picture him because what he does is he holds out his hand and invites you to relationship with him. He's already offered his hand to you and he's waiting for you to say back to him, yes, Jesus, I do. I've decided to follow you, Jesus. No turning back. I don't have all the answers and I can't be sure of everything, but I'm ready to pledge my life to you. And in a moment, our worship team is going to sing over us. And what they're singing over us is an invitation for every single one of us to come to Jesus as you are. Maybe you're in the middle of a valley of a shadow of doubt. Um, it's okay. Keep walking. Keep walking toward Jesus. You come as you are.
You don't have to get your act together and have all the answers. Before you come to Jesus, you can come as you are. Maybe you're struggling today. It's okay, perfect, great. You come to Jesus as you are. You don't wait till you get all your struggles taken care of. No, 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 you come as you are. Maybe you think you've got lots of questions. Friends, I have so many questions still. (laughs) You come to Jesus as you are. If you've got sexual baggage, take it to Jesus. Don't stay away from him, take it to him. If you've got secret addictions, even if you've already tried really hard to overcome them and you failed, you still come to Jesus. You take them to him. You come to him as you are. Or maybe you see something in our world that doesn't seem fair, and maybe people that call themselves Christians are involved in that unfairness, or you start to wonder why. I hear you. I hear you. Me too. (laughs) But take your burdens, your confusion, your hurt, your anger even. You take it to Jesus. You come as you are. Maybe you've got hurt from from church people or Christians. I get it. Come to Jesus as you are. And especially, friends, especially if you feel inferior or not good enough about your faith, yeah, you come to Jesus. You come as you are, wherever you're at. Come to Jesus as you are. And let the words of this song Give courage to your hearts, a courage to begin trusting Jesus.